Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Long Story Short. I'm your host, Jeff Serkin. On this show, we talk to marketers and entrepreneurs about actionable strategies to help you connect with your audience and keep your finger on the pulse of your market. My guest this week is Matt Malanga. He is the Chief Marketing Officer at JW Player, the video platform for video-driven companies. Matt is a full-stack, hands-on CMO who is well-versed in disrupting industries, building winning cultures, and driving top-line growth. He has played a key marketing leadership role in five startups across SaaS and fintech, each getting to a successful exit, either through an acquisition or IPO. Matt and I have known each other for a long time and worked together in various capacities for well over a decade. He's been my boss, we've been colleagues, and he's been a client of mine at four different companies. I consider Matt to be my biggest mentor throughout my career. In our conversation, we went into detail about some of the work Circuit Research has done with Matt as a client over the years and used that as the foundation to talk about how to effectively develop core positioning and gain alignment for your go-to-market team around what matters most to your ideal customer. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Malanga. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, Jeff, I appreciate your time to be there. Thanks for inviting me, and I'm happy to share uh, some insights with you and walk you through my background a little bit. Yeah, and, and so before we get into that, I, I'd love if you could just give a quick introduction in terms of you know what you're doing today. Yeah, so today I'm the CMO at JW Player. Um, it's a SaaS video platform that serves broadcasters and um, publishers. So if you want to think about it, think about like, Brands that have a huge volume of video that they need to broadcast. Um, and it's uh, been there a little over a year now. And it's been great. Um, it's been great, you know, being up to speed on the market, understanding the market constructs, and the percentages that we target. That's great. And you know, it's funny, I didn't realize you'd been there a year already. I mean, but to be clear, you and I, you and I have known each other a long time now. Um, we first met at the beginning of 2010, believe it or not, I had to go back and look this up. Um, when you hired me to report to you at BMC Software, and I was brought on initially to be the first marketing analytics hire. Um, and about a year later, I, I got promoted to build out the marketing analytics team while you led essentially the rest of marketing ops. Um, but I still remember, I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up, the dynamic in place from some of the calls we would have with the, with the marketing stakeholders. So the marketers would come to you with requests, uh, that you had to essentially push back on because of the limitations of the technology. And then meanwhile, I got to kind of step in and play good cop and then solve their problems at the reporting layer. But, uh, that was, that was always funny to me. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, yeah, 13 year plus years doesn't seem like that long ago. So you know, but, um, yeah, you know, honestly, um, given that, you know, my purpose is largely on the demand side, I always say that demand engine runs on campaign operations and marketing operations. And it's so true. I mean, I've seen a lot of those people that we've worked at the, at BMC also become like, you know, VP of demand gen at a major software company. Yeah. On um, the successful CMO on mm -hmm. startups. And I think, you know, if you were to talk to them, I think they would tell you, okay, we learned a lot about the importance of having good analytic and AI operations, basically. Run. They, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've actually thought the same thing, even just, you know, kind of just scrolling through LinkedIn and, and you're right, just so many people we had worked with are now in these, you know, sort of leadership positions across the board. Um, yeah. And it's, it's funny, you know, kind of in hindsight, you're right. And I think that's the only way I actually realize how long it's been because it's like, wow, you know, we had all of these people that are VPs and CMOs. We had them all kind of in one building, so to speak. 
Yeah. Because it's kind of crazy, but if you think about it, a lot of these startups or even these larger firms that are connected by private equity, no. very data-driven. I mean, they really want to be able oh, yes. to like the funnel and understand how the funnel is actually progressing and marketing's contribution to the funnel, as well as like understanding the strategic elements of the marketplace. So mm-hmm. where are the competitors? What's the market construct? Um, how is core positioning important? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe different you know segments within the marketplace. So that, you know, using live talking to a board um, mm-hmm. or model leadership team, um, it's usually a combination of the two. Yeah. I think, I think we learned a lot, you know, showing up our teeth to our BMC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then you and I ended up leaving BMC, you know, within about a year of each other for different opportunities. Um, but we've continued to work together in a variety of ways over the last, you know, eight or so years. And so I want to dig into a couple of those. So where, where I want to start uh, digging in is your time of, at CMO of NewsCred. I, and I'm curious, so what was the biggest challenge in growing the business that you were facing as the marketing leader at the time? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you even refer to it as NewsCred. Because um, when I did start there, it was NewsCred, but effectively there was parts to the business. One was very much agency-based, and the other one was very much SaaS-based. Um, and strategically, the company knew we wanted to get more into the SaaS business um, and refocus our energies there. Um, and effectively, it was like launching a new business. And it was a new brand. Uh, eventually, we sold off news cred, um, the agency, and relaunched the SaaS brand as Welcome Software, which, as you probably know, is eventually acquired um, by Optimizely. Um, and so, as you're building a new brand or a new company, which effectively it was, um, the key is, you know, I needed core, re- I need really core research to make sure that we really understood the market really well, the personas really well. And so I, you know, I looked at it really with two lenses. Um, it was how are we going to make progress within the market? Um, so strategically, I worked very closely with um, Anthony, um, who's our product, is now the VP of product at Optimizely. And it wasn't about content. It wasn't about us creating content. It was about us really understanding the market, personas, their top initiatives, um, and how well we could tie and sell in our products based on what they were looking to solve. And they, yeah, they didn't point in time. Um, because at the end of the day, yeah, it, it, you know, my biggest challenge always is making sure we have super tight positioning within the marketplace. And so, yeah, that's it. I mean, it starts with, you know, about understanding who are you that target and then understanding very p- precisely how do you want to position your product that's going to be relevant to the market. Yeah, and I'm and I'm so glad you started. <clears throat> excuse me, with the with the who because that was really the the first project for us was that that we came in to do was identifying the biggest pain points and priorities for those marketing leaders, right? For your personas, um, but the the piece that's so relevant to me, and I think about this a lot, is I always think of if you have a more sort of generic audience, the insights, especially as you kind of mentioned, kind of coming back to core positioning they're not going to be as relevant, right? So you want to get as close as possible to the people that you ideally want to be selling to. I mean, ideally, even the the individuals, the actual individuals you're trying to market and sell to are, are need to be the audience for the research because then their insights matter the most. 
now not to mention you can then also create content back that they you know want to consume um but that is going to give you kind of the best perspective and best lens for how to actually use that most strategically within market absolutely so i mean if you think about it you define your product icp that's usually in the b2b space um at a, like an account level or a company level what are the ideal companies that are down biopro right and then what case, there might be various use cases, um, but that defines your ideal customer profile. And of course, you can move out to like, oh, it might be a good fit, but might not be, and of course, not a good fit at all. And then within the context of what your ICP, your life, like under doing the research to really understand the different types of personas that are going to influence a deal or be um, actually a buyer is important because those roles change, even with their context of marketing, like a person who's in charge, like selling the software we're selling um, at Welcome Software, you would position it very differently than if you're to a product VP of product. I mean, what a VP of demand gen. Because if you look at it, then they're, they're, they're having different accountabilities. So like a prod marketer is usually accountable for or positioning the GTM process maybe core core messaging, positioning, and content um, for the sales team and for the marketing organization, other parts of the organization. Where the demand team, they're, they're going to be very, very tied to like building pipeline and MQLs and marketing source pipeline. And to make assumptions, like, so I'm right now forming hypotheses, right? Or to be able to validate that in the context of the product that you're selling is very important. Because at the end of the day, when you have a VP of product on the team, on the phone, you need to know how to pitch them. And that pitch is going to be not significantly different, but it will be slightly different in important ways than that of some ways they had a VP of demand check. So yeah, I think really understanding your market, really understanding the percentages within your market. Well, you can gather a lot of that information internally, talking to your product teams, the CEO, CEO probably has an opinion, the CFO probably has an opinion, your head of product, your head of technology, everybody can have their opinions. They're all generally like in the right direction, but they're often not perfectly aligned to each other. And so just get that market validation and to really understand it at a persona level. This kind of foundational to like product marketing and, and really knowing how to go to mark. Yeah, there, there's a couple of things you 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 touched on there that I, I want to kind of repeat back. And the, the first one is around that approaching research as testing hypotheses, right? And, and even what you were saying that sort of the the entirety of you know the head of product, the head of sales, CEO are all going to have slightly different opinions. Those all then start as hypotheses, right? And so we say, okay, now how do we put all these in there? The other thing that you called out is, is that the research needs to be product specific. And, and so what we then do is this is not a boil the ocean kind of thing, but this is a matter of putting it. And, and so what I like to think of it as, is you, you make the scope of the research limited to the scope of the challenges that the product solves, right? Because, and, and the example I always give is that if you were to ask marketers or CMOs like yourself, like you're the biggest challenge you're facing, just open-ended, it might be getting budget or, you know, headcount, things like that. And it's like, that, how is that going to help you as, as, as right as, as the CMO of, of NewsCred and Welcome? How is that going to help you to position your new SaaS product? It's not, right? Because that's not a problem that you can actually solve for. So it's, 
It's limiting the scope of the research and putting them in the mindset of the problems that you actually solve for them. And then the other piece that you mentioned too is understanding and being intentional upfront about incorporating the different personas as part of the audience, because so often you're going to find whether you're intentionally marketing to them differently or not, you're going to find that there are, you know, to your point, they may not be drastic differences, but they may be really important. And so it may not affect sort of the homepage on your website, but it might be when you get into sort of email sequences or, you know, the first sales meetings, things like that, that the way you would approach ahead of demand gen would be a different than the way you'd approach ahead of product because the things they care about are just fundamentally different. Yeah, I mean, you're right. So the way I position my company, typically start going to a startup or happening is you have to start with the end in mind. Like, think about from the context of like you're having your first meeting with making a head of product, right? And they don't have, they're in a rush, they're busy. So you got to ground their attention quickly. So you got to be able to put the end in mind. And the end in mind might be like, okay, here's the five things we do incredibly well. And software company. Here's five things. We are absolutely crushing it. Right? Now, you better be saying the five, three or five things that this person you know is going to be very important to that person. It's eye to their KPIs. It's like you or they're going to spend money on. So that's the key is like work at the problem by it. I'm about to sit down with someone who's a CPO or a chief product officer or a chief technology officer or a VP of, you know, demand gen. I've got them on a call. I've got, a, they got a very short span of attention and you've got to sell them like what they're going to care about. And you better know what those five things are, or three things are, that they're going to look at it and they're going to ask the question, does this sound right? Is this great? Are you struggling with any of these problems or challenges? And they better say yes to three of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, B, and F. Well, we start. Right. And that only works by working the problem, by working it backwards putting in the end in mind and then doing the research to validate that yes, those on that the five things that particular persona that's gonna want to spend money. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the things where, you know, there, there's probably a misconception of of research in that way. And and you know, you you're you're basically using my language too, right? We 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 say internally, we say begin with the end in mind. And exactly right that, right? The idea is to start with, okay, what are the things that your product, your solution does really well? And then you say, okay, these are all hypotheses. Now, which of these are important, right? And that's that's what the research does. Now, you know, the way I like to say it is when we develop the research from that is to say, what would need to be true in order for these things to matter, right? So then that's how we kind of frame them into questions to then put in front of your personas to then say, which of these are most relevant? And then you find out that, okay, these three that we thought were important aren't, these four are. Okay, great, right? So now you get to go to market and you get to have these conversations and to your point, you know, if you were to list the five things there and three of them are going to resonate versus one of them, it's such a, a big difference. But this is all the things, again, that internally and aligning to your point across the entire go to market, across marketing and sales, um, especially to be able to have sort of the consistent story you're telling, because now everybody knows what's most important to those key personas you're trying to sell to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 
Yeah, I, I still remember sitting down at the end of one of the first few weeks I was at News Credit, which eventually came welcome. I was like, yeah, me. if you had to make a statement like, we're going to increase something by 2x, or we're going to reduce costs by x amount, what would those statements be? And who would you say them to? Now let's get the research. Because at the end, where you're like, that's what you want to do. You come to see CMO and say, hey, look, um, I can double your brand awareness by and make greatness out. You got my attention. Or crowd be an increase your pipeline by 100%, you know, quarter over quarter. Here's how we're going to do it. You've got my attention. So the key is like be able to get those proof points and also use research to help validate what are these statements that are really natural and on the right folks. Um, and so from my perspective, that typically falls on the product marketing team. Uh, smaller companies, obviously, I work um, closely with them. Um, yeah, and then we take that research. And because it is market research, there is a lot of effort that goes into collecting the data, like the percentage that you're targeting. Then you have to think about, okay, well, now we need to shift gears from knowing how to position the product based on the percentage of my target within the out that we care about to how do we promote it and ground their attention. And that usually shifts through the product team and starts shifting more to the management team or social team or the communications team. And at the end of the day, it's the core research that fuels the content. So you can spin up that research into webinars. You can spin it up into snippets that can be used on the blog or um, or even a whole blog article or on social media um, or even feeding it to your sales team um, or SDR team for outbound efforts. They're going to want one-pagers. They're going to want things that um, are going to be super relevant to the people that they're targeting. Um, and so, yeah, that core content, that core research fuels the positioning which already fuels the content that you're going to produce, um, which eventually rolls out into channels, whether those channels are your sales team or, or communication channels, like blogs or... Yeah, and, and, and specific to, you know, with, with that first project we did, we turned that initial survey into two different blog posts. Uh, one was around the top marketing initiatives and one was the top marketing challenges, right? And I mean, they were from the same survey, turned them into two different blog posts. But and almost immediately, you know, I mean, one of the other back to you mentioned brand awareness specifically and how are you going to get their attention? Well, in, in the case of these blog posts, you know, almost immediately, both of them ranked really well in SEO. Right. I, I mean, and again, I, like and, and this is another you know sort of side benefit of original research is that not only does it create relevant content that your audience cares about, but Google cares, too. Yeah, it's, it's not just Google. So original content is what people really want. Um, and, and when people want it. Well, Google wants it. So Google's very smart about it. Well, like, it's going to get picked up by the press because it's original content. But you're covering you know, that particular space. Um, who doesn't want original primary research from, you know, senior level people who have given their insights into their top challenges, um, which you, by the way, happen to solve? Um, and, yeah, so at the end of the day, it is original content by far. Based on research, from my experience, has been by far the most popular content. Um, and you, if you think about it, a lot of your buying personas 
or connecting to your brand if it's research based, right? And primary primary resources. But they're very rarely the ones who are actually gonna get involved with like the software side of it, right? That's directors are for. That's what managers are for. That's what you know, marketing ops teams are for. And so yeah, do you want to connect with your buying personas? It does need to be getting out very research based, right? Um, so anyway, that's, that's the way I think about it. And I, I think there's very few in the B2B space. It's very rare. I mean, I wish it's very rare because it does very base of what you're selling. But I think for many companies, they're typically trying to connect with the CMRO, the VP of demand, Jen, uh, depending on the size of the company. The person with the budget authority. Yeah. Depending on what you're selling. It's the person who's going to have the budget, right? And, um, yeah, so to be able to get them connected to your brand, to understand why it's relevance, is a very, you know, difficult task for any marketer. Yeah, and, and, and so going back to those, you know, the first blog posts, I remember they were published on February 15th, uh, and I remember the date exactly because one month later, COVID hit. Um, and, and I remember at the time, and, and you and I had a conversation pretty soon after that, of like, okay, now this insight that we just got on what matters most to marketing leaders you don't want to say it's irrelevant, but the, literally the world's turned upside down, right? And so now immediately it was, okay, we have to shift our focus, right? And so now it was, how is COVID affecting market? Um, and and so, you know, you, you mentioned PR, but but I know in, in this particular case, this is one of those things where, you know, we were able to pivot and, and you know, kind of like shift the focus, put out the new, put out the new research, um, get the survey results, analyze the data and put together the content that, you know, again, I mean, I'd love to hear from your perspective, you know, kind of like how that it eventually took off. Yeah. So I, if I recall correctly, we did a first research project. As it's always the, the first time is always the most time. I, yeah. You know, I'm bringing on a new team. We're doing some new play books of campaigns that we haven't done in the past. Um, and so as a building any team, it just takes more time to get that first one off. And so, yeah, but, you know, the first one I didn't turn into two blog posts and maybe a webinar, right? And when there was some good success. I think Google picked up and ranked both of blog content as number one. Again, some pretty tough keywords, which we were dry to win. Um, the webinar, I think, was our best attended webinar probably in like five years because it was thought leadership, um, top of mind type research. And then COVID and I mean, there's lots of tools that are out there like Welcome. Um, but I would argue Welcome's much better than Asana or Rike or Workfront because they just both were our competitors. But effectively, like what I liked about the software, you know, is that, yeah, the team had learned to run the playbook or the campaign, but we institutionalized it in the software through basically templates. So it literally becomes a rinse and repeat. So as soon as COVID hit, we knew we had to be first in market in order for the needs to be relevant. Or like, what did marketers really care about? How was COVID going to affect the budget? How was COVID going to affect the work environment? You know, how was, I mean, the list went on and on. And yeah, we were, I think we, you know, we probably brought you on and within a week we had the survey designed. Within another week we had already pushed it out um, and executed the next part of the playbook, um, tabulated the results, summarized the results, built out the core documentation for it, 
let built the landing pages and then you know got the content out there um where google picked it up um digital you know digital pr the pr agencies honestly picked it out very correctly and of course we did a probably webinar on top of that one as well um and so yeah i mean speed to market like at the end of the day news is news so you've got to do like state of the marketplace and it's going to be primary research you need to make sure that you have it out before your competitors, right? Um, so which means you have a very lengthy planning cycle or you're able to move very quickly. And I like the latter better on um, being able to have like tools that can help you like accelerate and get stuff done fast, just once and repeat. Um, now obviously I'm a part of like you, Jeff, who was willing to like not give me the red tape that I would get if I'm working more like a forest or a gardener. Um, that will undertake too much. Oh, right, right, right. It's about speed to market. Um, yeah, I mean, that frame of the game, and the good news is timely. Um, and, you know, relevant news dissipates pretty quickly. Uh, this way, just the way the industry works. Well, and to your point, because, you know, again, I had to look all this stuff up recently, but so, you know, COVID hit in the U.S. March 15th. This the blog post on the COVID research. So one month later, one month after COVID hit, the research was already published, right? And because there's actually, I found the the Business Insider picked it up amongst a bunch of others, but that Business Insider article was April 15th. So again, it was within one month of COVID hitting, we already had the research out, fielded, right, executed, analyzed, and built the content and picked up, right? So like literally one month from this sort of massive kind of world shifting event, we had the content literally in market. Um, and, and to your point, you know, I, I'm sure, and, you know, to hear you kind of reiterate, but in that case, especially speed to market was critical. Yeah. It's always a speed to market. Um, so if you ever want to, I mean, again, to be thoughtful, you can plant some up and you can build your, your campaign poem did that. But at the end of the day, like your most relevant news has got to be something that happened, you know, at that point in time. Um, so even like current company. Um, same situation, like, you know, the market got hyped very quickly. Uh, and we knew budgets were being cut, right? So what do you do with that case? Like, how do you react to it? And you know, the key is you got to build relevant content for getting the economic conditions that happen to be in. But I believe it was probably a much from ideation to execution and, um, I don't remember the details, but frequently, you know, we, we push the content out to, um, PR agent or to a PR agency. We'll push the content out. Um, cause quite frankly, um, especially in trade publications, sometimes even bigger publications, yeah, they want primary research. They don't want it to be like secondary research where I read about from somewhere else and here it is and summarized. They're looking for like here, but re- solid research. Targeting specific industries and specific people, they want to know what like marketing leaders care about. Not the managers, not the directors. They want to know what the, like the, how the VPs are thinking about. Um, and I think that creates a lot of value um, with this type of research as well. It's interesting because it's about the only research. It's about the only playbook you have in marketing where like a VP level actually take five minutes out of the busy schedule to complete a survey, obviously with a few incentives, but they'll still participate 
especially if they know they're going to get the results from participating. Well, and that's so that's a that's a piece I want to touch on because in I, I I mentioned this a little bit ago, but the idea and and I now call it refer to as the Trojan horse, but the idea of the people that you ideally want to sell to to use them as the research audience, but you just touched on the key reason why is because not only are they interested in participating, but then they want to see the results, right? They want to consume the content at the end of this, which again, then just gives you the opportunity to really be able to kind of like further them, you know, kind of along in their buyer's journey, if you will, to help, you know, now they have some awareness of your brand and now you can actually help connect it to what you actually do. Yeah. I mean, that's all, that's the secret in the survey design, like we're actually solving the problems that they're actually providing information on. In the first place, it was a little bit of a tragedy horse there, but you're you're right. I mean, they they know that they're getting now this the maybe financial benefit of an Amazon gift card or whatever. Um, but they're actually going to be getting the research, and I'm just mostly top of the funnel. But you're at least connecting these the leaders and these organizations, um, your core buyers. Um, you're connecting them with your brand and what you do, why they're relevant. Um, and quite vaguely, that's, you know, that's probably the most important thing a marketer can do. Yeah. And, and so, you know, kind of coming out of those first couple of projects, I really do think, and, and we kind of mentioned this, that we really kind of hit kind of like hit on a really a, a pattern or really a playbook, if you will, of kind of like, you know, just about, you know, maybe once a quarter or so new research project, blog, webinar, um, and then kind of rinse and repeat. And actually, I love how you even talked about how literally using your own software to actually capture that. But I'm curious, just big picture, how that helped or impacted, you know, sort of demand and how that helped, you know, potentially growth of, you know, both NewsCred and Welcome eventually. Yeah, and I don't had, I mean, and maybe I can't recall, like the actual demand that was generated. Um, like, no, I mean, it's, the beauty of this type of content is it works all parts of the funnel, or it's the top of the funnel, the middle of the funnel, the bottom of so I know like the webinars are wildly popular. And I know from those webinars, we had some really good um, people within the right accounts who are ABM programs attending those events, um, others webinars. Um, and of course, those went on to our STR organization and I'm sure many men women outlined. And who knows how much of that came out as uh, those one deal. Um, I can't recall at the moment. Um, I'm not sure if I even gave you the stats back then. Um, I know they always go very well, but there's also those things that aren't as easy to manage or, or mention. So like when the SDRs or the sales team was doing outreach, they always want to do a lead behind anything. Well, they don't want to just like reach out to the table. Maybe you'd be interested in this research. Or maybe there's a little sound by them's gathered in the research. Like um, one of the top challenges of making stuff happen, CMO, is proven their ROI of their budget, right? And it's just a sound bite. And then they could say, you know, reference, circ and research. And so the sales, I mean, this, this, the content itself gets dispersed across all your go-to-market motions, across all the different, like, um, parts of the buying cycle that, I mean, it would be hard to say, like, they didn't have in some way, shape, or form influence and virtually every deal. And then even art more arguably, you could say, well, look, all our first meeting decks, how we think about selling, like the enable portion of our sales team, it's all derived from this core position, which is founded on this research. 
So even if it wasn't the content that marketing created had a direct impact on the deal, the sales team is better educated and trained to sell this buying percentage. And so the end of the day, I mean, you could argue you have a 100% influence not to be confused with attribution reporting, not to be confused with marketing source pipeline. But at the end of the day, it's easy to argue that that content based on that research influenced every deal. Yeah, and um, it, it's funny that you were saying that to you, you almost forgot that it was called news cred because I think when I think back to that time, it took so long before it was officially welcome software. Uh, you know, so to me, even, you know, even before the product had a name, it was still, it, from my perspective, it was still news cred. So um, it's funny how, but you're right. In hindsight, it does seem like it was always welcome software. But, and you mentioned core positioning as well. I mean, one of, one of my favorite, you know, sort of most unique projects that we actually did was the very beginning and the very initial launch essentially of welcome was really to nail down that core positioning. And again, this was in depth in a, in a more detailed way. I mean, literally, you know, kind of testing the initial sales deck and, you know, kind of going through the statements in the product category and, you know, helping identify, you know, what at the time was going to be marketing orchestration. And, uh, but I'm, but I'm kind of curious for, for your perspective at that time too. I mean, it was such a fun project from, from my side. I mean, in a day, like you, if you're going to do core positioning, like it can't be an internal, dis only an internal discussion, which I've seen over and over again in my career, it is like the prod team that wants to position it this way. And if you're really being a strategic marketer, you're not disagreeing with that, but there, they still are hypotheses. A lot of someone, a lot of someone would be quantified for. And it's pretty rare that product teams actually take the time to quantify their insights. Maybe in best case scenario, let's say we had three focus groups or something. Best case scenario. Never mind all the biases that live within that, like research methodology. Although I do think it's a good methodology. I don't think it's the only methodology, but then it, it helps you form your hypotheses. But then again, you have to go to the marketplace. I want it to be quantifiable. And, um, you know, or CML at, BMC, you know, of course, he worked at MasterCard, and he would agree one hundred percent with this. Um, he used to be CMO at MasterCard as well. He's like, yeah, you know, whether you know branding or core positioning, it needs to be rock solid research. It can't just be this is what I think is the best way to do it. Otherwise, otherwise, it's going to be the biggest title, the title that's got to decide it. And um, that's the other advantage of primary research is that it helps bring alignment across all the different point, uh, parts of the organization because who's going to argue with feedback from 100 or 200 of your core buyers right right the people you're trying right the people you're trying to sell to exactly like I, I did it every time and it's not disparage like you know head of sales or rev ops or world war but both um They'll come in and say, well, look, I talked to, switch to this big customer meeting, I talked to 10 customers, and this is what they care about. And I'm like, that's awesome. We should definitely make sure we that we consider that as part of our research. But the bigger question I always have is like, do those 10 customers represent the greater market? Right? Because 10 is not statistically valid. 
Wait. Secondly, there's lots of biases when you're having open conversations that come into play, which is very different than looking at a sample size of 100 or 200 and see if the data still correlates with those initial insights. So it's not wrong. I'm just saying it's not necessarily right as far as I'm concerned until it's validated in the market. Well, and then not to mention, because we run into this a lot where, you know, we have, we will have clients that will talk, say, say, they basically give us the same spiel as like, oh, well, we talked to 10 customers and those are their, you know, like top of the top enterprise customers, but that's not where their growth opportunity is. Right. And so to your point, how well do those 10 opinions even actually reflect where you're trying to sell into? Because, you know, we literally just ran into this maybe a week or two ago and, you know, so, hey, you know, for us talking to and getting getting the perspectives of this enterprise customer that really doesn't represent who you're going after, to be perfectly honest, is not very helpful. Um, but again, so it's like, where is the growth opportunity? Where are you actually targeting and making sure that those 100 or 200, so it's statistically significant and it represents the population you're actively trying to sell to? You, you and I have worked together for a long time, and, and I want to talk about some of the things I've learned from you. Uh, I've talked to a lot of marketing leaders over the years, and so often they prioritize immediately aligning with sales. And while that certainly is important, I love your perspective that the first bridge you build as marketing leaders with finance. So I, I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about that and how you use that in practice. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I try to build bridges with both sales and finance. Well, um, the sales one most marketers are aware of. It's important that marketing and sales aligned, right? So while it's kind of obvious. Um, in terms of campaign planning and execution. The one that's not so obvious is making sure you have a strong relationship and bridge with the finance department. And the primary reason for building that relationship is because at the end of the day, finance has to be, be the one that ultimately define what success looks like for marketing, right? So at the end of the day, marketing is, you know, effectively a cost to the business, just as sales is. And so, you know, it's easy to say like, okay, well, sales is bringing in this much revenue. It's much more difficult to say, well, how much is marketing influencing that? So whether you're building attribution models or you're allocating like what is this, you know, what defines success from a financial perspective of marketing, you don't want to try to build whatever that, that notion of success looks like, you know, within marketing, because it won't have any credibility with the team yeah. most about it, which is finance. Yeah. So the key is you got to partner with finance and ultimately they need to be the ones that you work with to agree on how do you define success um, for marketing. Yeah, I love that. I think you and I have been, you know, part of organizations where they've done exactly what you said, where essentially they built all of the, analytics and I was part of leading that in terms of how do we measure marketing, but it was all internal. None of that had been vetted. And so then what happens is when the CMO and the marketing leaders go to then share that to the rest of the organization, it kind of gets shot down. You just, you know, kind of poke holes through it because it wasn't agreed to in advance. And I think that's why to me, I think it's it's so critical. And that's why I love your perspective on sort of starting there first. Um, and, and the other piece to me is I, I think it's really almost an underrated thing that how you, to me, as as an analyst, especially, how you determine how something will be measured really creates the incentive structure for everything you're going to do. And so if you don't have the right metrics up front, then the campaigns you build, ever, all the activities you're doing are going to be going towards the wrong North Star. And that's how you end up in this situation where you say, 
look at this marketing crushed it. We had all these, you know, PR impressions and we have all these leads that we drove, but yet the revenue is flat. And, and so therefore, and I think that's where a lot of this disconnect comes from. Yeah. I mean, that can still happen. I mean, finance agrees on what that is, but I think that's the big, the big win in doing this is if you don't do it with finance and have someone who's that, you know, is basically one who agrees or disagrees. It often leads to a wedge being created between Mark and sales. Right. So for example, like I'm very much tied to sales as a marketing leader, right? And yes, there are circumstances where marketing can crush it in terms of sourcing new pipeline. The brand awareness can be quite high. You know, we're running um, sales enablement. We know we're measuring getting feedback from sales team through surveys that your your marketing materials, your training is crushing it, but you're not hitting your numbers. And so the, you know, the core reason for why that sometimes happens is because of a timing issue. Right, which is sales is focused on each quarter. A lot of the pipeline building stuff that's really easy to measure on some marketing source headline. You know, that could take a much longer period for it to materialize. Um, and so they're kit so you know, again, marketing is not sales, we're marketing. And so yeah, a lot of what we do is longer term. And clearly in the pipeline that often gets created. But I think well, to the point is is that we partner with finance and finance agrees on the approach of how things are going to be measured and how we're going to measure success. Then it doesn't become a wedge for sales, right? It's not marketing versus sales. Who's getting credit for that opting versus this opportunity? It, 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 it's not, you know, it's not looked at from that lens. That's right. Well, and I think the other piece, and, and you and I have talked about this as well, is that it really enables marketers to build business cases for their work and especially to set expectations with that executive leadership team, right? And I think I think what a lot of marketers, this is something, you know, Victoria Gamlin and I talked about on, on the podcast recently. And um, but, but but in that exact way where we, if you can't say, we're going to run these programs and here's what we should expect, but it, it, it's not going to happen for about six months. Here's going to be the leading indicators we look at, right? If you don't have that expectation setting, marketing gets caught up in the same kind of quarterly cycle you were explaining about sales. And so it's, hey, we thought we were going to get XYZ and it's not here. So that means scrap it or budget's gone or whatever. Right. And, and I think it's it's not being able to set those expectations up front, which is really, to me, I think what kind of keeps marketing leaders without a full seat at the table because you know they're, they're not able to deliver in whatever the expectations were that weren't effectively set with leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I completely agree, and that's that's the way I think about that, which is, you know, I want to be as tight and as partnered with the sales team as possible, and actually work with finance to find what success looks like. Actually, take the friction out of execution, and ensures that marketing's more aligned with the sales organization. That's simple. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit, and, and I, I'm curious. I would love to know, you know, as a, a longtime marketing leader. Uh, I'm curious for you, your experience and what it's been in terms of you know some of the the bigger research firms, the Gartners and Foresters of the world, and and how ultimately what what we do at Circuit Research, how it's you know not better or worse, but different. Uh, I'm just curious for for your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yeah, I I spent ton of time working with Forrester Gartner serious decisions, and you know they have a very specific important role, you know, in helping build credibility for a company. Um, especially larger enterprises, but also the mid-market. Um, but the research that's being done um, 
it, it's really quite different. So like, for example, I recently done a Forrester TEI report um, here at JW Player. Um, and it's research being done by Forrester to really understand using real customer case studies to understand like what's been the return on investment effectively on using JW Player, right? And that's incredibly important. But marketing needs to actually add content that peels the entire file. Right. At TEI report, like people are asking what's going to be my ROI on day one. You know, they're looking for stuff that's going to help them like connect with the brand, connect with JW Player. You need other types of research. And so the way I think about the work I've done with you in the past is that I'm looking for content that can help fuel all stages of the funnel. More importantly, I'm looking forward to be able to tell the story that we want to tell. So I'm not saying that we cheat on how we do our, our um, research. Rather, I make sure we put the focus of what we believe we're good at and making sure we're tying it to like what's going to be relevant to our, you know, our core buyers. And then we put the end in mind to like, I always tell my product team as an example, um, I always say like, if you were to say anything you wanted to say and do it in a factual way, what would be those statements? Like, if you wouldn't say like seven out of 10 customers uh, or nine out of 10 customers believe that we're the best, you know, whatever product it is in the marketplace. Great. Give me another one. And so we work from that direction backwards, right? And what's great about working with you is, you know, we're doing the surveys aimed to specifically our target market. Hey. Um, and then B, we're building building the survey so it actually tells a story that we want to be able to tell in a factual way based on real marketing leaders um, in the marketplace. So with that, that's one very big difference and you got to find a working with Forrester or Yeah, I love that. And we've been referring to it as as demand research as a result. And, and so to me, I think there's two core pieces that you talked about. The first one is that really that the scope of the research we do really extends as far as our, the problems our clients' products set, uh, solve, right? And so as a result, anything that we come up with in the research will lead back to a challenge that our client actually solves. And the other piece that you mentioned is using only the ideal customers as the audience for the research. And to me, I think of like the audience as really like a bullseye. The closer to the center you get, and your ICP really is the bullseye there, the closer you get, the more relevant those insights are. And then therefore, the more relevant the content will be that comes out of them. So the insights are more relevant and you now have content that's much more relevant for them. Um, so it, And because we did it in relation to your specific product, it helps you tell that story more effectively. And because we worked backwards, it kind of fills in those bubbles. And so as a result, it kind of becomes, to your point, none of this is in any way biased or anything like that. It's really just done where the scope is very intentional so that it will lead back to what you do well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think you're missing there's a second part of this as well. Because there is the demand content that comes out of it, but there's a more strategic nature to it as well, which is the core positioning. Like I always really want to talk about your products and services. What benefits do they provide? And because at the end of the day, and you're going to be meeting, you know, if you're successful in what you're doing, 
you're going to be meeting with the VIPs and the account that you're trying to run a business in. And you should be able to stand up and say, get in front of them with a simple PowerPoint or even in conversation, say like, look, here's the four things we do better than anything else. And should be relevant to them. Or it should be like, here are the four core challenges we've solved. Do you suffer from any of these pain points? Because we solved them really well, right? And that should absolutely resonate with your core buyers. And because of the survey approach that that we use, you're actually getting their feedback and defining those top challenges that they actually care about spending money on. And so that requires you to have a very narrow focus and who you're actually running surveys against. Yeah, and 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 again, that speaks to why it's so important to have your ICP be the audience, um, and the way the surveys are developed so intentionally, right? But because I think exactly to your point, and I couldn't agree more. I, frankly, for me, that's a much more strategic value add than the content. Honestly, part of the reason we lead with the content piece is because it's just the most tangible and sort of quickest value add that a company is going to get. And so, if they feel that they're already paying for, you know, if they're already looking to get good content anyway, and we can help them do that. Great. And then the rest of it is is sort of, you know, it's all gravy at that point. Um, but I totally agree. I mean, to me, it's really the value of deeply understanding your ideal customers and then being able to reverse engineer your own positioning messaging based on all. Of it. Yeah, because I don't think we could, I, I, I agree. It's, I like it's research based, which every automatically conducts generally the people that can meet. It's just not any research. They want to hear from the peers which is collectively who your survey is their peers, right? So that, you know, that, that's, that's very different because like a lot of the research you're going to get out of Forrester or Gardner tends to be customers, not prospects. Not prospects. My yep. prospect account. But that's also a big difference is you're really getting true market insight. That's going to relate to new business building, not just to your existing customers. It's funny. I really do feel that that's one of the biggest misnomers I hear is when I first have conversations with people about research, their immediate assumption is that it's going to be their customers. And that's one of the first things I kind of have to unwind and say, no, 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 actually, we'd actually rather not have your customers. It's not because, again, to your point, they've already found they've already gotten there and found it. What we want to do is we want to know the challenges, the priorities of those who haven't yet. Um and, and then figure out, again, what you need to be able to say and what they need to see to, to make them interested. Um, but it, it's, a little, it's a little late once somebody has already decided. And you know, they may have found, now again, th- there is benefit to customer research too, but it's a different perspective. To me, the benefit of customer research is what are the things they found, the use cases, the, the features, the things that they're using that maybe you aren't putting in your marketing? And again, that, that's, a, that's a different context. But to me, to figure out your core positioning and how you want to create content and, and drive demand and attract more customers, it's, it, you have to, the prospects have to be the audience. Yeah, it's funny because, like, if you talk to virtually, well, actually every kid will come in and work for in the past, they always talk about old customer obsessed. <laughs> I would guarantee it's like every company is like, these are for my most known obsessed. And if you want to grow a business, I mean, surely it's much easier to sell to customers and cross-sell and upsell and not get a software business, obviously not get churn, right? So customers is extremely important. But generally speaking, I find that 
most of the companies inside out thinkers, right? The marketing is acting cast often with the case of like doing outside and and really think about the market more holistically. So I always say be market focused. You get too customer focused, you might end up with 10 customers. So you get market focused, you might end up with a hundred, you know, customers. Um, obviously assuming that they both have the same like value to you. Um so that, that that's very I mean, I said that that I think is really important in terms of you know bringing that thought into the research, which I think you help you know marketers thinking about it. Um, I know I'm a victim of inside out thinking sometimes myself. We we all are. Oh, I I am I am even in my own company, right? It's it's not yeah. you know I don't think anybody can cast stones there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. You got a thing with the not not that what you have or what you don't have is really critical. So. It's about thinking about the problem and different lens to get to the right answer. And, and I think you've done a good job of like helping me navigate uh, some of the tougher discussions. Um, it's not like, again, on the same point, sales got have a strong opinion on like what customers care about. Your, C, your CPL and product team would have a strong opinion. They're probably generally a lot. Right, but the question is, are they aligned to the entire market? First of all, and secondly, do you actually know the priority in which those things actually matter? So, if you had in value props, well, what is the rank order of those, and what's the relative difference between each of them? Because you don't want to talk about ten things in most cases. So, again, the research has been great at like vetting through like things that are true. But the degree of accuracy is is not perfectly clear. I call this the strategic element of like some of the work that you do. I mean, it doesn't translate to the like the demand gen content outside of core positioning, but it critically helps you position the product and think about the market. Yeah, and and I love the way you you know sort of say that it's it's market focus. I I think of it again as a Venn diagram where it's sort of like let's say there's ten things you do really well, and there's ten things the market really cares about. It's ultimately it's that overlap that you care about, right? So it's the chances are there's going to be three things that overlap. But if you're just doing inside out and saying these are our four most important things, this is what we're going to lead with. Chances are, back to statistics, you're only going to hit one if you're lucky. Two of the things they care about. But when you've done the research and you actually know that, oh no, the, these are the three they care about. Great, then you get to lead with those three plus another one that you do think is really special that, that differentiates differentiates you from the competition that maybe they're it's not on their mind yet but will be and now suddenly they're interested it and and again it just the analogy i always use is if you walked into an office building and there's 100 people there and you ask them what you want for lunch and 82 of them said pizza now you go and order pizza and everyone's happy and they're like wow this is so great how'd you know and you say well i asked you <laughs> right it's like what? It, it's ultimately it's like I, I kind of think of it, especially when you're using your ideal customers as the audience, I really think of it as like they're giving you the answers to the test in advance, right? That's literally what it is. And now they're just saying, okay, now all we have to do is now reverse engineer. We already know the answer. Exactly. And I love it. I mean, again, I haven't seen this type of work done. Um, you know, I've worked with like tech validate, very customer focused type research. Um, I've worked with Forrester, tends to be more customer focused. Um, or even when they went to do like a, um, like garden, they want to do a magic water. They want to talk to more customers, right? 
I think Wendell does a great job of giving you like an overall market view. So if you're a decision maker, you can get to your shortlist quickly. But again, it's not really... Look, I look at companies where all we do is position the product to get rent well and guard. Right, right, right. Well, flat the customer, right? So one is Gardner knows the market really, really well. The market that you care about, which might not be exactly aligned to the way they're defined in the market. It works, but if there's a difference there, it's probably not a great at work. And, so, and there's almost always those, you know, just gray areas and the nuance where it's even you, we, were, we were talking just a little bit ago, right? The idea that sort of there's the total market and then there's your ideal customers, right? And so again, it's 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 a matter of identifying what your ideal customers care most about, not sort of the broad based. Here's what the entire market is is looking. Yeah, yeah. And, and the last thing I'll mention one last thing about some of the research I've done, I think really differentiates what you're doing from the head of like the force used to help the other research place. Is because you are creating content for the full buy insight, your top funnel, the bottom of the funnel. I can actually tie a, a ROI back to the research that you do for us. And like, if I don't, or at least like a five that to ten up to the trial, and every time you do research for us, I'd be shocked because it's not. And so again, it's a little bit harder, you know, to be able to connect a dot on the from the magic quadrant to revenue, but it's not. Like a quantum leap survey, how much, how many good MQLs that turned to, you know, marketing source pipeline came from a particular blog comment or a webinar or a research download or like, I usually even find that the prospect companies that we've targeted for the research, that they'll eventually, many of them will oftentimes come in out of the, so it's, 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 it's quite different when you kind of get under the hood and like take the label of research off of it. And I'm not surprised that you're trying to work like a different terminology around it. So you don't lump into some of these other firms. So you, what you're doing is fundamentally quite different. Well, and the truth is I just see, there's a lot of research reports out there and a lot of them will be state of X or Y. And the, the question now I always ask myself is when I'm reading them, I say, I'm not exactly sure how this, I, I, I appreciate this research. It might be relevant to me, but I don't understand how this company that's actually done the research or sponsored the research actually benefits from it, right? And, and so now I kind of look at it with that lens and it's, it's funny to see that everybody wants to be a thought leader and kind of own these concepts. And to me, I always say, well, you're, you're being too broad. Again, it, when the people that you're using as a survey audience are actually the exact people you want to then turn around and market to, because it's not only now just your peers, it's where do they sit within, you know, sort of their group, their peer group. Um, but now they become themselves most interested. And so again, it's, I, I, I all of it to me is it kind of, I, I scratch my head and I understand that there's a value for what the other companies do, I'm certainly biased here. I'm <laughs> yeah, like I said, I mean, there's there's different types of research, and each research has you know a different purpose. And you know, um, I think a lot of research that you know, just to summarize, a lot of research I've done with you is a great for strategically how to position things um, from a pure bread and market perspective. Um, but it also has like a demanded element to it because it can be used content that's comes out of it can be used in so many places from a website blog post to you know a webinar 
um, to, um, you know, just likes the email for a, uh, you know, a CEO, a C-level download. Because it's really quality, you know, thought leadership type research. So, yeah, I mean, that is quite different than what I get from a lot of beer. I'm a research firm. So, you know, Matt, I, I really appreciate, you know, th this conversation and more than anything else, just, you know, you and I have been working together for, for over 13 years at this point uh, and have been such a big part, frankly, at a number of stops of what we've done for circuit research. So I, I honestly can't thank you enough for really being a, a partner, frankly, in, in helping to develop some of this. Some of it has been intentional. Some of it has kind of been happenstance and stumble onto something. Great. Now, you know, now this is sort of part of our offering. So um, I really do. I want you to know, I, I consider you to be, you know, my mentor. Um, so, you know, personally and professionally, just, you know, thank you for, for all that you've done and um, hopefully we'll continue to be in the future. So you, you've told me a lot as well. I mean, especially like um, as we've done this, you know, similar things from company to company that, you know, help run more pay debt. Um, you know, things tend to evolve. And it's good that, you know, I can partner with you and you're wobbling as well. Um, and I think it's getting better and better and better. Why don't we do it together? And um, like I said, I've got down to almost like an art form now. Um, what's what the company is, I got to nail my core position. Everything's going to challenge after that. Well, let's really tighten up the screws on like what matters to the market. So that's why we start with you know, the research and bringing it on board because that just gives me crystal clarity and confidence that we're going in the marketplace. Yes, well, thanks again for doing this, Matt. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome, Jeff. Thank you. It was so great to have Matt on. He's one of the smartest marketers I know, and his track record speaks for itself. I've learned so much from him, and I especially love his perspective on immediately building a relationship with finance as a marketing leader. So that's all for the show. Um, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us for a new episode next week on Long Story Short.